0: Hello, Uh, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye Pod, TTSG Pod. Today, it's just me, uh, Andy, talking today with my friend, Meghna Chodri, who is most recently a graduate of NYU, Uh, recently finished her PhD. She's also a visiting assistant professor at Boston College right now. Um, And the reason I wanted to talk to her today, though, is specifically uh, about what's going on in India where she has been since, you know, around winter. I, I think you went back from the United States, back to India to, you know, see your family, see your friends. I think all of us um, with family abroad have had similar thoughts. Um, and then, you know, she's obviously been in in, in India, Calcutta, Kolkata, uh, where uh, I'm sure everyone is kind of vaguely familiar with uh, from the headlines the last few weeks, things have gone pretty bad with COVID recently. And I thought, uh, you know, just, you know Megna and I text, you know, every day or every other day about what's going on, and uh, it sounded like this is something that a wider audience would certainly be interested in hearing about what's going on from a firsthand account. Um, so, you know, Megna, thanks, thanks for talking with us today.
1: It's great to be here. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So, well, I mean, first off, before we get into like the, I, I do want to kind of back up and talk about what 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 has happened over the last year, but maybe just. Uh, just to give us a sense of like your, your, your frame of mind, like how has it been the last, the last few weeks? Um, you know, you're, you're, you're back home with friends and family. Um, yeah. Like how would you describe it?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I, I mean, I haven't left the four walls of my house since the 8th of April, uh, which was four days after my birthday and my grandfather's 99th birthday, which is the last time I, I uh, and I saw a friend the day after that. But, um, yeah, it's been a huge shift in terms of just, uh, the, my consciousness, uh, the way I'm interacting with friends. I'm talking, I'm, I'm, it's like I'm in a constant, there are friends who I, um, you know, keep in touch with, but now we're more in daily touch because almost everyone has some kind of emergency. Either they're trying to organize a second dose for parents that was cancelled and they want to try and get them there. Or they're, you know, or they have someone ill in their family, and they're trying to organize, you know, an you know oxygen or medication, um, or you know, just trying to help friends get flights back to India because of a medical emergency. So like doing that kind of logistical work, and also my own family. Um, every single person who lives in this house, other than me, was infected and, and, and tested positive. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been really hectic on the personal level and then there's been um, but the personal has interacted constantly with this information out there because you don't know how to proceed without constantly kind of like seeing what's happening within your state and at the center because you are trying to track what's happening both with vaccination and with medication
0: yeah so you're constantly on the news sharing stories with friends is that is that life right but unlike Unlike, you know, I think all of us are, have been doom scrolling for a year, but for most of us, I think in the United States or in, and we kind of live in sort of like comfortable enclaves, the news is kind of a little bit divorced from your personal life and except for like, you know, vaccine news, uh, maybe. But it sounds like for you, it's like you're reading the news as almost like a question of, uh, you know, life and death, right?
1: Yeah. And the news is often, you know, like aggregator apps that are telling you that 270 slots for vaccination opened at one hospital in Calcutta. So I am immediately screenshotting that and sending it to my text group of three friends in Calcutta so that we all can be on the app and nobody ever gets a slot.
0: I do want to. OK, so let's set things up a little bit more by just kind of zooming out and we're kind of really briefly recounting um <clears throat> I think people are vaguely familiar with what happened last March, you know, um, but just to kind of refresh people's memory, last March, uh, you know, when the lockdown hits India, the same time it hits the United States and everywhere else, uh, India kind of has this big theatrical shutdown and it actually seems like, you know, by the time you came to India in winter, if you look at the numbers, things were pretty good COVID wise, you know, maybe not pretty good everything else wise. Um, how would you kind of assess uh, I don't know if I like to use this word, the performance of the BJP and Prime Minister you know, Narendra Modi last year from the lockdown, basically all the way up until this latest second wave.
1: Yeah, so um, let me start by saying how things, just a quick note on how things were when I came, which was end of November. And how, uh, when I came, it was actually COVID-wise, it seemed better. I was actually escaping New York, which seemed to be on the brink of this new wave. These mutants were coming from the, you know, like from the UK or South Africa, or whatever. In December, January, when I was in Calcutta and in India, um, I um, I was experiencing the same dissonance that people in the US might be feeling now, being like, oh, we're going about our lives. However, the fact that I found India to be in that situation where, uh, you know, in January and February... It looked like in big cities like Chennai or Calcutta, you were seeing less than hundred cases a day. So it seemed like there were these, there was a slew of articles in the, you know, in New York Times, NPR ran something on, you know, why is India escaping this? Um, I would say that that's not, and I mean, that's not just, I mean, I'm going by what, everything I'm reading. It's not to do with anything the BJP did or didn't do back in March, but it has to do with how mutations have evolved and how they've now traveled. So last March when the lockdown hit, uh, the whole, the language was quote unquote scientific in the sense that it was about breaking the chain because India is such a densely populated country. It was about breaking the chain, which of course, uh, broke no chain so All it did was put a very large number of millions of migrant workers on the, on the roads, like walking for months. Um, you know, uh, no quarantine centers set up outside the villages. When they did reach them, they were, you know, right there just infecting those people that we, they were um, that they were reaching uh and uh, and it's just that i think that with the with the virus it's it's almost like i guess it's i mean this is for a scientist to see but it's almost like that first wave affected affected indian metropolises in a major way but not but in a way where hospitals weren't overwhelmed. They were at capacity, but they weren't overwhelmed. You weren't seeing these cues and lines as you're seeing now. And with rural India, there simply was a media blackout. We weren't seeing that kind of, uh, you know, coverage simply because of the lockdown. Um, we're seeing a bit more now because there isn't a lockdown and there's all this drone photography of, you know, bodies in crematoriums in various parts of rural India or, you know, smaller towns. Um, um, so I i would think i would say that it's just entirely scientific luck that the country kind of um saw an x number of casualties at the time and it had nothing to do with the lockdown per se
0: yeah so i think the um the the image i think a lot of people have if they know anything about that period is this image of the sort of internal migrant workers uh, in India, like uh, I think the number I saw was like over 120 million migrant workers were stranded, meaning like I guess trains were shut down, right? And, and like all modes of transportation were shut down. Uh, you can imagine the sort of like consequences of that, sorts of poverty and desperation. Um, uh, so there was this sort of, I guess, sh- I guess the logic was sort of like we're going to have this short term sacrifice for long term good. But even and and so it sounds like the BJP was kind of taking a victory lap by by end of 2020, early 2021. Um, Is that
1: right? Yeah, that's totally true. And The logic with the lockdown was that this is to help us build capacity uh, for infrastructure. So you lock down everything and you move all your resources to building oxygen plants, building, you know, emergency ICUs. Some of which were built a very small capacity, particularly around Delhi. So the Defence Ministry kind of like did set up a few of these in these big open grounds and so forth, which are now coming up again now because they were dismantled. The government just did take a victory lap. It was this whole like we have conquered. There were all these you know speeches. Uh, at Davos and so forth, about you know how India has really kind of like done it. All of those were dismantled stupidly. First of all, those resources were concentrated on major metropolises, and then they were um, dismantled. Um, the only state where I know specifically of capacity that was actively built uh, were Kerala and uh, Maharashtra, both of which are non-BJP states, and uh, and it's it seems like particularly for Maharashtra, there's a reason why they are seeing um, they've seen a drop for the first time it's the first state to see a drop in the number of cases um and uh and casualties uh since the 2 3 days ago
0: yeah the consequences seem very unevenly distributed like there's some states like Madhya Pradesh and up um uh, Uttar Pradesh like kind of closer to Delhi that are i guess i assume are like more bjp stronghold types uh, i mean and can we map this on to like basically wherever the bjp is in power that's where um maybe not so straightforward, but maybe where the BJP isn't in power, it seems like those are the states that have done well. There was an op-ed or editorial in The Lancet, the sort of scientific medical journal recently, um, about India, and it mentioned, I think, Kerala and Orissa uh, Odisha as another state that has done well. So, yeah, I mean, is there, is there, I guess, is that good evidence that this is not just a natural disaster, but a political? I
1: And I, I mean, I would, I think that, It's not so much about whether it's BJP versus I mean states. So it's just about whether those states have the capacity. Maharashtra has the capacity to fight the center. They are in a very public fight with the BJP central government, uh, including you know vaccines sort of like being um, you know weaned off by the center. And they have the capacity because they are they have they are more high income state to have done this pushback. Orissa might have fared better, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily because they poured a ton of money into this. Kerala certainly did do so. Um, um, also, the other angle to that this was a political disaster is that, um, that UP had local-level elections. These are panchayat elections at the village level. These are, like, big administrative block elections. Uh, Bengal had major, uh, the local elections, so did Assam and Kerala and this uh, sort of smaller union territory called Pondicherry. And all of these places saw... uh are, are suffering the consequences of the BJP campaigning very aggressively, Tamil Nadu as well, uh, campaigning very aggressively. Um, so there were there were central government ministers flying in, like including Modi, you know, 20 times in the same month of April into Bengal, uh, addressing huge political rallies. And that did, I mean, I'm not saying that the other parties were wiser, but it puts that kind of pressure on you. It's also true that the other parties pulled back, and said, you know, we're not going to hold any rallies. We're not
0: going to have these anymore. Yeah. So the other thing that's happening is, I mean, from what I've read, uh, there are some people saying that, oh, people got too lax. Maybe the relief bill wasn't big enough, and so on and so forth. It does seem like the second wave is really coinciding with, uh, in addition to like overconfidence and taking a victory lap by by the, I don't know, the BJP or central government or politicians. It's also um, po- political season in spring, um, in India across for, for, for many different states. And there was, there were a lot of experts basically saying like a second wave might be coming. We should cancel these political rallies. And, um, was the BJP kind of the only party that really stridently just still kept, you know, organizing these campaigns, these rallies where people were just like, you know, you know, mushed together and, and spreading COVID or, or, yeah, I mean, is the BJP kind of singular in doing that or were all the parties doing that?
1: So I'll speak about that specifically through uh, the Kumbh Mela, which is this huge gathering yeah. of Hindus, which it was like more, you know, millions of Hindu pilgrims traveling to uh, Allahabad. And um, so, for example, you know, it was just this kind of, sting of kind of, uh, it was this kind of scoop operation that kind of like revealed how I mean we all knew it, but it's now confirmed that the Uttarakhand Chief Minister, who was a who was a BJP appointee, was actually pushing back against the central government, saying that you know let's just allow this huge gathering and you know this, and he wanted to kind of have like greater curtailment of this, and he was sacked. I mean he he resigned and at the time everybody no the news media doesn't really report anything. Uh, other than how the government releases its press. So, press release from the government is the news. But anyone who reads that knew that this resignation had to do with, you know, an internal sort of dispute on this. But the BJP pretty much sacked its own appointed political uh, you know, Chief Minister of Uttarakhand because they didn't like the pushback against this huge gathering of Hindus. Um, they used the logic of you know you shouldn't have mass gatherings to push back against farmers protests in december and early jan but they were very happy to have people gather in very large groups for these elections and election season really was you know end march early april by this time you know it was really this kind of global victory lap that was uh happening that you know india's really escaped again uh, and it's true that uh you know let me just also address the fact you know that people have become complacent it's true they had Amongst other things, because there was no messaging around this, so it, the government was approached by a large advisory council of scientists who said that you know where this second wave has come. We found the mutant strain in October. This is this is in January, February that they wrote and said you know, but it seems like the main COVID uh kind of like committee that was task force that was set up that in any case wasn't really doing much. Didn't even meet in February or March, and um and so. It's uh, it's it's just that there was no info. I mean, people were complacent because there was no government messaging on you should be continue to be, and in in, in its own behavior was that of open everything up. You know, just there there was really kind of like indoor dining, trains, everything like.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So several pieces were taught, Several articles were, were you know that we were sharing with each other mentioned that this sort of anti mass gathering policy was very selectively deployed right it was used against the opponents of the bjp for instance massive protests against these sort of very neoliberal agriculture bills over winter which we could talk about um maybe later on those were historic and we you know we haven't really talked about them on the show um they were encouraging gatherings for you mentioned Kumela or like pro i don't know it's, it's a hindu it's a hindu um event that i assume like most mostly are bjp supporters or kind of are is that is that i don't know if that's fair but they were and but so they would say they would allow that event to happen but they would chastise uh mass gatherings for like muslim related events right and because you know that they would be seen as like the opponents of the bjp um so it's very selective in anti-science i guess is the sort of takeaway
1: yeah, so, so, yeah.
0: and then you know the, i think now the everyone is kind of harping on it was was around March and April with these large political rallies that you had quotes like um, the end game for COVID has happened. That's in March. Right. And in April, there's famously a quote from Modi where he attends a rally, I forget somewhere. And he said, I've never seen so many people at this at at a rally before, but that's like a good thing, right? That he's like, Oh, this is the greatest rally of all time or something. Um, Okay. So, I mean, are we to say that that is the main factor behind this, this latest wave um, that's happening? Or is it just, that's just kind of the symbolic?
1: Yeah, that it's a failure of governance. Yes, this is is the, it's a failure of governance in terms of messaging, in terms of building infrastructure, in terms of uh, precautions, in terms of taking scientific advice, which it didn't, um, and in terms of responding now, I mean, Modi and, uh, our man, uh, you know, his, uh, man Amit Shah, are like, they have not addressed the nation. Modi loves addressing the nation, but you know, they're in hiding. They haven't, they haven't said anything and they're doing nothing.
0: Well, so they haven't, when's the last time they appeared in public, like for weeks?
1: Um, the election, um, end of April.
0: Wow. Wow. That's shocking. Um. Yeah, so the current situation is, you know, I mean, all the numbers are almost sort of kind of insane now, so it's sort of abstract, but I think one takeaway is there was a recent report that suggests that officially there are 200,000 plus official deaths, and one estimate out there is that that might be one-fifth of the actual number, that it might be up over a million already, and potentially three to four million by the end of summer. Um, and I'll put, you know, links to all that stuff in the show notes. Um And, you know, there's all the sort of spectacular images that I'm sure people have seen, sort of mass cremations, overworked crematoriums, perhaps, you know, bodies even found just like floating down the Yamuna River, right? Um, Yeah, so it's a lot to take in. What about, so to kind of zoom out then, like what, I mean, maybe we could just kind of begin by asking, like, what is it like to be, what has life been like for you um, in terms of when did you begin to realize, like, oh shit, this is for real? And it sounds like, you know, it sounds like recently maybe things are taking a turn, you know, uh, for slightly better. But uh, what was it like at kind of its worst moments?
1: Um, I think we're still very much in the worst moment. Uh, I'll say that, um, so I have a close friend who is based in Bombay. And I have friends who have worked that requires them to fly in and out of Bombay. So I kind of had that sort of uh, awareness of Bombay's uh, partial lockdowns, bom- Bombay's, uh, you know, and Maharashtra, Mumbai basically, Mumbai and Maharashtra's kind of rising cases, uh, in, you know, places like Amravati, which are other city- non-Mumbai cities in Maharashtra in, uh, in, I would say, middle March, mid-March, I was aware of that. Um, and, you know, uh, but, the conversation was very much like it's because Bombay is Mumbai is this crazy you know like metropolis and it has these local trains and the local trains are open and and you know there's no way the government can have a full lockdown there because you know people just won't survive. Um, so it was very much like Mumbai is having this huge surge and Maharashtra is. Uh, you then you so you heard about a surge in Kerala and then people couldn't make sense of that because it was like Kerala has just had such a good uh, kind of policy. Um, uh, and then, uh, and then it kind of became like a Bollywood virus. So for a bit, for about three days, all the news was all these major Bollywood stars when they were on Instagram being like, okay, am I isolating whatever? So it was very much like, oh, it's, it, this is, this is the news from Bombay. And, you know, I had a friend's brother who's based out of Bombay. I, you know, I ha I had I was privy to a conversation between her and her parents sort of discussing it. Should we get him out of there and you know, get him to come to Calcutta? So that happened. And then... It's almost like the but in Cal in in places like Calcutta and Delhi, I still know people in you know around the eighth ninth first week of end of first week of April they were still you know flying to Delhi. Um, I met people out in outdoors in Calcutta. Um, you know for a birthday drink or whatever, and um, and then that was it. And then I had a friend say I I was exposed. So I'm going to isolation, waiting for my test. You should do so. That was on April eighth, and I. I mean, that's when I last left the house. And and then I would say that basically by the, by the you know, 18th or 17th of um, April, the really horrific news from Delhi, not just that there was a wave, but that people were literally dying on the streets, uh, these kind of cries for oxygen and particular kinds of medication on social. Uh, that was just everywhere. And... And then it was it was very real because I was suddenly phone banking with a group of friends for a friend's mother who was seeing her oxygen levels fall. And she needed some kind of oxygen assistance, whether it was a machine or actual oxygen. So an oxygen concentrator, an oxygen cylinder. And it was um and the doctor had advised that, you know, she be found a hospital bed and it was just like this crazy day. Um And, you know, so, yeah, so I would say that that's that's my Uh, personal experience of how the timeline for this has gone. And basically, I would say that it's just been at full throttle since about April 20th, and it doesn't feel like it's let up.
0: So do you feel like, you said like April 17th, 18th was this big bombshell. Do you feel like something was already happening, but it wasn't being reported? And finally, like, you know, these images out of Delhi of people dying on the street, you said, were finally... Like that's when the rest of the country realized when, how bad things were. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: That's kind of how it was. It's it's almost like, I mean, I had a friend visit Delhi, visit her parents, you know, around the 15th and being like, i being like, I kind of felt like I shouldn't get on the flight, but I bought the tickets. So I went and it was like, all the roads are completely empty. This is such a bad idea. And being like, okay, like, gotta, you know, backpedal get back home really quickly, and then within yeah. a couple of days it's just all over, so, I mean, you know, you, it, it's no longer just word of mouth, it's, like, on the news that people are just dying
0: in droves. How, how about, like, um, just, like, every day, like, the, the setup every day, like, are people, how, how frequently do you see people wearing masks, you, you mentioned transportation, is transportation still, like, running, like, normal, like, nothing is wrong, um, and, is it, you know, you said your friend was exposed. How available is testing and all that stuff?
1: I would say that, you know, what it is, is that um, people wearing cloth mask. it's not like everyone has an N95. I'm double masked at home when I'm around anyone. I sleep with a mask on now, you know, in a different room with the do- window open or whatever. But, uh, but uh, I would say that it's not, I mean, I think everyone now is scared and is wearing a mask, but it's, also true that there are just so many people whose livelihoods really depend on just being out outside all day they can't possibly wear a mask every minute of the day in that way um, in terms of testing capacity it was clearly under pressure when I needed to get my family and people who work in our house uh, tested um, because um, Maladi who's uh, in her 60s and had been vaccinated already had a viral and I was like it sounds like we should get her tested and I thought let me just get everyone tested because going to it took, it, it took several phone calls, um, cause I'd been tested before when I flew here, I'd been tested. So I had that number and took several phone calls and they were just like, sorry, we can't come here. This is for home testing. And then, um, and then the results took for four days to come. So instead of the two days that it does. And it's also true that a lot of people have had, I mean, the thing is that hospitals weren't letting in people without a negative test in hand, but because the negative, the tests were taking so long, for example, the state government of West Bengal, uh, which is now, which is a non-BJP government that's just been elected and with a huge majority, has actually just passed this um, new mandate, uh, new sort of regulation day before yesterday saying that hospitals need to take in anyone who comes in with symptoms, with even if they don't have a negative test in hand. Um, because negative tests are so, I mean, tests are just so hard to come by. Uh,
0: so the and the main issue is like, okay, covid It spreads, it can be fatal, but for a lot of people, if you have like proper treatment and a ventilator and a hospital bed early on, um, you know, like mortality rates can be controlled, um, or minimized, um, is the main, the thing that's going on right now in a lot of parts of India is that there just isn't, are no facilities. Is that the case? And is it just like a free for all at this point? Like you just got to like know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody,
1: It is a free for all, except the most highly connected people, like literally, like me, you know, generals in the army, like the most celebrated journalists. Um, these are people who are not getting uh beds for their, you know, families that we know of. Um, not finding spots at crematoriums to cremate their family um, members who passed away. So it is a free for all, but it's also like you're not, uh, you're not. access isn't even those markers of privilege aren't working anymore
0: i mean i guess this is what we talked about in the united states uh you saw you called it breaking the chain in the u.s we called it flattening the curve which is a different concept right but it's it's a sense that um you know in the united states it's okay if everyone you know if almost everyone gets covid as long as they don't get it at the same time and you don't crash the system as it were it seems like in india the system was crashed
1: yeah, so there are two things I'll say about this. One has to do with the disease in particular, and the other has to do with the organization of the treatment. So, one is that um, with the second wave, because it's the mutant, and there are like a couple of there are two. There's like a double Indian mutant, and there's a new new one mutation, and there's another one that's called the Andhra Pradesh mutation that just came out, It's supposed to be even more. Um, basically, both these mutations are far more contagious and fast traveling. They also act the the kind of like You know, we, you know, the kind of like time span for how COVID develops to, you know, you have five or six days of fever. If you're not going to be someone who has developed major symptoms, then you just kind of like peters off. If you are, then you, then in six days time, you kind of like, instead it's happening in a much more compressed time span. So it's taking people and doctors time to realize, took them time to realize that everything's compressed. Um, secondly, uh, it also seems like the transition from, oh, you just need hydration and paracetamol. To oh, you need steroids and oxygen uh, is happening much quicker, and in a way where once it happens, uh, you know if your oxygenation level falls from ninety uh, to thirty in the span of twelve hours between night and morning, then there's yeah. very little anyone can do to save you once you're at a thirty percent oxygenation of your lungs. So I know of you know it's this this is just the case you know even if you organize an oxygen cylinder or something by you know in the next six hours it would be an amazing turnaround time for that that person is not going to survive so it's just that it seems like the disease itself has evolved in this particular way. now the second thing to do is to do with this privatization of um of this free-for-all situation so the place where covid was really really bad and it the one place that's seen a, has actually seen a decline. It's actually managed, and you don't see this kind of social. Just going by social, you don't see that kind of social media, like need oxygen, need bed, kind of um, discourse is Bombay, and that's because Bombay has actually uh, the Mumbai, the Mumbai uh, government has removed the distinction between private and public hospitals. It has a centralized COVID war room that is designated by neighborhood districts so these kind of like individual municipality governing groups that organize their own war rooms and then they just allocate beds in private hospitals and public hospitals to people based on like okay this hospital has a you know a ventilator so this patient goes there this patient's done with the ventilator shift them to this hospital and shift that one there and there's no distinction between public private in Delhi for example it's a free-for-all you you're paying crazy fees for public hospitals, uh, sorry, private hospitals and public hospitals which are significantly cheaper are however also draining people of their money, if they're even able to get in, which at this point is really not the case because you're having to provide your own oxygen. So you come, it's like you come, it's like your BYOB, your BYOO, <laughs> sorry, you know, it's like bring your. B-Y-O-O-O. Yeah, so <laughs> it's yeah. like we have a byo yeah. Yeah, and that's what we were told, you know, they were like, we have a bed, but you have to bring your own oxygen. So you have to bring your own ventilator, wow. you have to bring your own drugs. So, and the, wow. the particular drugs also, which is the, this is again, like this is so. Um, it's a so monkey to kind of like read about and try and figure out on your own But I'm you know, whatever like I'm I've been reading a lot amongst other places looking at my own parents prescriptions and being like What are they being prescribed? You know, what are they being given for this infection? and um, All the drugs uh, that are really on high demand so like people are having to pay like 30,000 rupees for one vial of one injection Which you're supposed to take like once a day
0: Wait, so yeah, so what are the kind of drugs? Are, are they? I mean, I this this other thing I've been reading about, like these, they've been kind of uh, a little bit loose with the kind of medicines that the government's been a little bit loose, and doctors have been a bit loose about kinds of treatments.
1: Yeah. So again, there's two aspects to that. One is the main kind of like the ICMR, the Indian Council for Medical Research, which is kind of like the head. It's attached to the in a central hospital, uh, that's really well known. And it, it's the one that sort of had those kind of centralized guidelines. Most of them weren't updated since April. And they had a number of treatments and, uh, drugs on them. Like, I'm going to name one, ivermectin. It's part of like, it's a global controversy. When I looked up why my parents were being prescribed this drug, I was like, holy shit, there are peer-reviewed papers on You know like why this is a harmful drug to take for someone with COVID and why you know so there's a Uh, you know it's a whole medical controversy but it seems like the CDC and places like the UK have actually gone ahead and said by October of last year that the the use you know treating COVID with this particular drug does not benefit the patient and has really terrible side effects um amongst other things something it's like a it's a horse paralyzer you know some I was just like what (laughs) so you know so, so there's that so the central level the directives and guidelines are Really outdated and they aren't following, they aren't moving with the research What that's led to is this kind of like free-for-all uh crowdsourcing of information on what drugs to use. So then there are these kind of like really these drug for example, remdesivir is a drug that's you know, yeah. constantly and then there's another one called the toclusium, some kind you know, there's another one, and then <laughs> and then there's something called plasma therapy. So you're constantly saying. Uh, Requests for people with plasma to donate, you know, A positive, whatever, whatever, etc. And now there are like a bunch of doctors who are on their own stepping up, and I've seen interviews on news channels or their own kind of like writing articles about how uh these drugs don't make sense at us after a certain point in the patient's kind of like you know the, the 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 stage with the virus is in their body, and most of them should never have been used in the first place, but because. People know that this is what's supposed to be used. Other my neighbors, you know, prescribe this or like it's in the news. So you know, I looked it up. Why did I look up ivermectin? Because I was like you know, should my do I need to start sourcing these drugs? And yeah. uh, and so doctors are saying that they're feeling super pressured into prescribing this shit because anyway they're under so huh. much stress from patients who are like just hyper because they don't like families are hyper because they're like I've been waiting in six, for six hours in the sun. So it's just like we want the best treatment. Give us. prescribe these drugs, then go out there and find it. So doctors are saying they're feeling pressured into actually, uh, you know, prescribing stuff that they don't think works. And I read a really worrying report today by a a, a council of doctors in Delhi that said that they think that the mutation will actually get worse with the use of these these Whoa. medications because so they because they create new mutations that don't necessarily need to be, but it's a free for all. It's like I can't tell you know what what's yeah. real or what's not, and I'm reading widely. Can you imagine yeah, yeah. just a regular person? I mean, I'm accessing peer-reviewed research on whether a drug is approved somewhere or not, but most people don't yeah, yeah, have yeah. that.
0: I know, right? Uh, wait, so these, this original list of drugs from last April, you said, where did they get that list from in the first place?
1: I think that was kind of, that was the globe crowdsourcing, you know, like everyone was just like, right. oh, let's try this, you know, each country kind of yeah. was like trying its thing. And so I think this Ivermectin was used in different Latin American countries and in South Africa. And then, you know there was again this kind of the same controversy that's playing out now in India seems to have played out there. The US and the UK yeah. took a stand on that and said, "No, know we we, we're not going to use this, so did the EU. But it's like yeah. it's like nobody benefited from uh, this debate, you know in India.
0: So, so they basically copied and pasted um, other people's list of drugs and then they just kind of forgot about it. I mean, is that just a, is that a symptom of just the government? doesn't have the, like, not that they don't have the resources, that they haven't put the resources into it. They don't care. Um, But, I mean, you're saying, like, they're individual or, you know, groups of doctors and scientists who are trying to spread the word. Like, why doesn't the government invest more into, like, messaging and research and all that stuff?
1: So if I I have to be really blunt about this and without, you know, being, uh, you know, I'm not even trying to be... uh, Controversial or, you know, polemical. This government is anti-science. It literally does not believe mm-hmm. in science. There are government, there are government-funded hospitals that are coming up in Gujarat, which is, uh, the Prime Minister Modi's kind of home state and it's sort kind of like touted as the, yeah. you know, the big success model of his kind of like, uh, uh, cause he was the chief minister of that state for a long time. But what I will say is that there are, there are hospitals coming up, these emergency hospitals coming up right now, which are like literally like 300 cows and cow urine and cow dung, um, uh, you know, surrounding these patients who are on these like camp cots in a tent being treated for COVID. Um, the second thing is that there is, so, and there's a degree to which that anti-science has really pervaded society, um where, you know, people who took Covaxin, my dad took Covaxin, I was really pissed that he did that.
0: So, explain, explain Covaxin. Oh,
1: yeah, so basically India has two vaccines that are in circulation right now. One is Covishield, which is the AstraZeneca vaccine that was developed in Oxford, and the Serum Institute in Pune has the, in partnership with them, was producing it, producing AstraZeneca in India. And then there's Bharat Biotech in the ICMR which is the Indian Council of Medicine, they, they came together and they created Covaxin, which is this the Indi- an Indian sort of indigenously developed vaccine. There was a huge amount of sort of controversy around the fact that um, there wasn't transparency around their trial, uh, their clinical trials, and that they released it, the government insisted on releasing it before the third phase was over. Right. Um, and there were malpractices in terms of trialing it on people without their consent. So, you know, the deaths of very, you know, Um, you know, homeless people who were sort of picked up and uh, it appears, you know, injected with these vaccine trials. And so when people took this vaccine, like, you know, the inside joke is like, I don't know, you know, this might just be cow urine. You don't know. Because the government then took away the choice. So earlier, the the central government made you sign a waiver. Uh, So if you went to a vaccine center, because vaccination was free earlier, it isn't anymore. Um, you could go into a vaccination center and you wouldn't have a choice. You would have to take the vaccine that was there. However, if the vaccine that was there was co-vaccine, which is this indigenously developed one, you could choose not to take it, but it's not like you could then take the other one. You couldn't take the AZ. And if you did take it, then you had to sign a waiver saying that your family would be paid like some quality, some like 5,000 rupees like under 70 dollars or whatever if you died basically
0: <laughs> yeah so what is going on with this you know the, yeah so uh, you know the, the other reports are like you know and the health minister had kind of promoted these quote-unquote ayurvedic solutions and the who had to step in and say like those don't work right the cow urine st- stories um i mean i think you know as a kind of broader conversation like does there does the bjps or let's say the hindu rights anti-science attitude is does it kind of stem from a sort of like nationalist uh science is western kind of thing and like we're gonna do it on our own if we rely upon scientists in the international community that's imperialism so we have to do it using quote-unquote traditional indian methods is that is that a fair assessment Um
1: uh, yeah except that the critique of imperialism or western you know supremacy is very very diluted and um Kind of um, non-existent and only comes out of this kind of ethno-religious supremacy, so like Hindu supremacist ideology. So that's so it, their desire is that India should be a, a Hindu supremacist nation and go back to this golden age that is completely concocted of its traditional Hindu past. Uh, and in and so therefore, for them, these kind of like whatever <laughs> these you know, these ancient texts. Are you know sort of touted as you know having the secret to various kinds of modern science? Which obviously, so you can see the kind of like pushing towards wanting the validation of Western science and Western governments. Um, Modi is very, very concerned with his public image. He's you know, he's take you know, he has the maximum number of foreign trips of any kind of prime minister and any even more than Nehru, who was you know, really you know, the foreign ministry was really his kind of like pet thing. Um, So they're very concerned with uh, the West, but uh, yeah, I would, it's just, it is really about this, uh, their anti-science-ness comes entirely from this kind of ethnic uh, supremacy that they, uh, religious, -religious ethno-religious supremacy of Hinduism, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that's, you know, for those, for listeners who might not um, be super familiar with what's going on, that might be like an entry point to kind of understanding why this is, um i don't know concerning interesting important in the sense that i think what's happened in india the last 20 years is not identical to but there are parallels with a lot of sort of rightward ethno-nationalist turns in places like turkey and china and obviously trump in the u.s right um you know brexit <laughs> whatever um and yeah i think one thing i guess i'm curious is this a do you think there do you think covid and this kind of disaster might convince a lot of people in India, like, oh, like, maybe we should rethink this anti-science, indigenous, uh, purely indigenous kind of fictional indigeneity, uh, 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 approach where you kind of demonize things, selectively demonize things as Western and bad.
1: Um, I think that that would be being very optimistic and I'll tell you why. That like that's not, I don't, I, my assessment would be that that's not going to happen and I kind of took like a temperature check with people I talk to here and nobody thinks that, that <laughs> will happen. <laughs> uh, for two reasons. One is that the degree of false news, uh, fake news and um, and the way in which media works in India is very different. So I'll just give you one example, um, which I think is very telling. So in the US, when you think of fake, uh, fake news, you think of like, you know, like whatever, a full website with full articles. Whereas in India, it's more at the level of memes and, um, uh, you know, like a one image, two, two words. It's all because this is a low literacy society. It's not yeah. people who are reading, you know, English language papers or Hindi language papers and read, you know, even, in great numbers and um, and it's and so this you know this belief in science as necessarily better is not i mean no i don't think people are like science is wrong but there's there's i mean they're just like people who you call whatsapp uncles which i would say like are 70% of <laughs> you know uh, urban and semi-peri-urban kind of like middle-aged people who and y- even young people in their 30s who who really just kind of believe in you know tradition and culture and and you know there is that kind of like I think it gets mixed up in the kind of like older um you know desire to you know like to go go to a better place the west or you know earn in dollars but then you also want to reject that because you want to think that you know you are you know all of that kind of gets mixed up um I don't think it's going to lead to um a rejection of this anti-science approach because I don't think people are thinking in those terms. In, 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 any, if any rejection happens, it'll be maybe at the state level where state level BJP governments might suffer in the local elections in the next couple of years. I won't even go as far as 2024 when the big major national election will happen. When at the state yeah. level, people might be like, you failed us bureaucratically and administratively. But I don't Very think they're right. going to be like, your narrative was wrong. And I think that Modi is the master of the narrative. And like by 2024, this person and his oratory uh, is really, uh, it really has that hold that, you know, people in the US who are listeners will get when they think of people who were really just taken with Trump. They might they, you know, so many people were taken with Trump Think We don't agree with everything he says, but some of what he says makes right. sense. And there's just that kind of like, um there was just that connection that people had.
0: Do you think, so you mentioned this phenomenon of WhatsApp uncles, which is very funny, but what, when, do you, when did you notice like the WhatsAppification kind of overtaking people's consciousness? Like those, it was the last year, several years?
1: When I came, so I would say 2014. So when I was in India for fieldwork, 2014, oh, wow. 2015, that's when, because all my friends um, actually happened to be anthropologists and so they were also on fieldwork and unlike anthropologists, and like historians who talk to dead people, anthropologists have to talk living, breathing people. So right. in most of the field sites, I mean WhatsApp was had just become that you know universal medium of communication because it allowed you to call for free. Data charges had just come down in 2015, 2016. And they've come down even more now. Um, so people were able to use that, and uh, I and I I could see like we it would at that time it was like this curated thing where like anthropologists' friends would send like all these weird memes and shit that they would get on their WhatsApp because WhatsApp is like Facebook in India. It's not like you are yeah, texting yeah, them and say hi, how are you. You're, you're, you're broadcasting um, to more than 500 people. So WhatsApp actually bought over by Facebook two years ago uh, after these yeah. uh, you know people started being killed on being on suspicion of being like people who are carrying beef, which the BJP is against. They actually stopped the. They they had put a cap on the number of texts one person can send to a certain number. You can't send more than five hundred in one go, or something like this.
0: Yeah, I I want to go back to COVID in a second, but just to kind of follow this line, I feel like to put a cap on this conversation. Do you feel like this, like the social base, this kind of, like, like what, what? how can we explain this sort of the appeal, the plausibility of this sort of anti-science nationalist attitude? Do you feel like the BJP and Modi this the sort of like ethno-nationalist message is somehow resonating with people either wanting to blame, I don't know, the West or blame the Congress party, like the, the sort of moderate party that was in power before, blame them for all the ills that India is going through? Or do they feel like the BJP, is actually producing hope that they can believe in and you know there's just i mean because to kind of make this more relatable to like well how did trump appeal to 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 sort of like downwardly mobile people in the us right
1: no i think you actually hit the nail on the head that's what i would have said it's the same reason why you know uh the very people who've been dispossessed of their ability to earn money because their entire sectors of the industry have been completely you did in for example the UK why why do people keep voting for the Tories which is the conservative party the party of capital um you know why did certain kinds of uh, demographics and states vote for Trump um it's that i think the UK example makes even more sense because it's just it's it's a less disaggregated kind of uh, analytical yeah. field and it really is like so class specific it's it's almost like this um uh, I can't believe I'm this up, but like, yeah, this, um, actually, I, uh, I was going to say, Ka- Caroline Steedman, who's a his cultural historian from the, you know, uh, from, you know, was trained by Stuart Hall and so on. She, uh, she wrote about her mother, who was a vo- working class woman who consistently voted conservative. And it was like, she sort of figured out those politics of class when Steedman was writing, and, you know, why did my mother keep voting for the very people who were kind of like, and it was this, po- and she yeah. calls it the politics of envy. And I think that there's a, there's definitely something to say for that in this India case in terms of the broader regional disparities of like India versus West, but also within class. I think that in us, in both in the UK, US, Brexit, whatever these instances and in India, the complete breakdown of in India already very lacking in medical infrastructure. I learned a shocking statistic today. We, we are one of the lowest investors in medical infrastructure, 2% of the, budget goes in that um, so it's shocking so it's already a, a place where you do not expect the government to work in any kind of centralized infrastructure and agencies to work for you so what you work what you vote on is based on this kind of like i don't want to yeah this kind of like neoliberal mobilization of the self kind of you know actualizing almost just through the thought and the oratory because it's not like people are necessarily doing doing are, have the opportunities to do much it's not like it's a 1950 story yeah. of like you know join the army get a degree build a house you know your kids go to college or whatever like that's not what's happening
0: so so you think they're kind of tapping into the sense of immobility that people feel and this is their only sense of like being able to live is to vote for the bjp and all the hope they represent
1: I think this is significant to say because i think that you can't talk i don't want to have made a comment about mass psychology without addressing the fact that uh the media is entirely um a government mouthpiece uh, certainly all the hindi and uh, regional language media except in states and regions which are specifically so for example the south dynamic is different because there's a whole anti-north kind of you know stuff yeah, but yeah. Uh, but it is—it is the fact that you do not. There is no news in this country anymore, and I can say this now much more than I would—I would have said in November because I'm just at home. So my grandfather and my dad have the news on in Bangla and yeah. Hindi and English. So I'm—I'm I'm seeing it all, and it is—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's really something.
0: You know, you mentioned—you know—before we started that you wanted to kind of address this myth of India. As pharmacy to the world, it sounds like you're kind of going in that direction. Do you want to kind of expand upon your point? Like, why is it a myth that India is this? Because I think one thing we've learned about the vaccine or there's a lot of conflicting information, but I feel like I read at some point like, oh, so many vaccines and drugs are made in India and that's why it would be really easy to ramp up all this production of vaccines or treatments and so on. But you're saying that's a myth.
1: I mean, so Again, I read up on this and when this was happening, so maybe you, you know, people will remember that about 10 days ago, there was this whole kind of like, your, you know, TTSG did it as well. You all talked about Bill Gates' kind of, uh, you know, little spiel being like, there's no point in waiving intellectual property rights because the know-how will not be replicated for our practices will, whatever. Um, I, and, and, and the opposite, and so this, this kind of this fight for the waiver of IP rights, Um, I -hmm. think is important in general and obviously they should be waived but I think that uh, from the outside perspective it kind of felt like oh now this is a big this is a big win it is a big symbolic win it's not a big real life win a because the capacity to ramp up production of mRNA vaccine is not going to happen anytime soon certainly not before a third wave that is supposed to come by October September uh, which is why the World Cup, the Cricket World Cup that's supposed to be happening here is being moved, probably, out of India. Uh it, That's not going to happen. Uh, the second thing is that, um, uh, from what I've read, there seems to be um confusion amongst people who study uh, pharmaceutical supply chains in India and the world. But, yeah, India is, including the Serum Institute, is the largest vaccine producer in the world. But... It seems that they have not basically the reason Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson Johnson were able to sort of like really ramp up their uh, production really quickly was because they were going off of government-backed research that had been conducted throughout the 90s and 2000s. That's not something that India had done. And this, they already faced this speakers in 2006 with one of the previous SARS uh, viruses, when the World Health Organization seems to have made a note of and reported that India's ability to produce specifically influenza vaccines was markedly lower than its stated capacity. So even in that sense, it seems really odd that the WHO relied on the Serum Institute's production abilities for the COVID vaccine specifically, which it did because uh, the Serum Institute had an agreement with AstraZeneca that it would produce a billion doses in return for them getting the IP waived for them to produce it. Um And um, and one other thing I want to say about the international, uh, you know, IP uh, stuff is that, you know, India's indigenous, uh, uh, we developed vaccine, co-vaccine, regardless of the fact that, you know, people thought it was, I mean, you know, Whatever the worries about it, it seems that it's protected people against the second wave. It's supposed to be have been pretty Mm. effective against this mutant mutation in particular. It's not like India made any moves to share uh, that uh, technology Mm. uh, with anybody else who needed it. It's not like India was like, Oh yeah, like you you know, Pfizer, Moderna, you wave yours and we'll wave ours. No, it was so that that too, this IT stuff also and this kind of like fight over like. The U.S. is, you know, withholding raw materials for AZ. Um, that was very much a BJP managed media spectacle. Um, there were schemes mm. of truths to it. Yes, the U.S. was, you know, holding vaccines. Yes, it did have an embargo on certain raw materials. But what the impact would be on their release to India is not necessarily what was implied uh, in that particular media spectacle.
0: Yeah. So. So, yeah, that was like two weeks ago. The news was the Biden administration was giving, quote unquote, raw materials to, I guess, the Serum Institute that makes the AstraZeneca vaccine. And you're saying that's a drop in the bucket that might make some difference, but not it's not going to be a panacea, right?
1: Oh, yeah, certainly not. And it's not going to make a difference by the third wave. It's not going to do. And what's required is like the only thing that will save things as they are right now is a huge ramping up of vaccination, which is not happening because the center hasn't the state, the BJP, the national government needs to have made a task force and it needs to have followed the logic that every other country that's you know done it efficiently or inefficiently has, which is that you centralize uh, procurement of vaccines from elsewhere and you decentralize distribution so that the different states can then administer it without it being bogged down by central control. But the Indian government has made no attempt ever to procure vaccines from anyone else. And instead it made a huge big deal about these, you know, small number of vaccines that it gave to other countries as part of this kind of international agreement it had signed that it would you know, provide. So it's made, uh, it's made no efforts to, and it's also Uh, sort of like really been slow with subsidies to Serum Institute and Bharat Biotech to help them. It's not like they've amped up that production. They could have totally uh, uh, made public sector vaccine, uh, so government-owned, so nationalized public sector vaccine-producing units, they could have been like, everybody will now produce this, instead of just Serum Institute and just Bharat Biotech. So it's, it's impossible to think these two little, you know, blips are going to vaccinate. Even if things were amazing, it would have required... A straight two years of 1, billion, 1 million doses or 10, sorry, 10 million doses a day for everybody to get both doses or 70% of the population to get both doses. India was already, like India's numbers are just stupid. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, what are you doing? You know, I, it's just, it's just like 70% of 1, you know, 1.3 billion need to be vaccinated with two doses. Right now we have 1.3% or something vaccinated
0: yeah, so I guess the the sort of grim takeaway is, you know even though there was this good news that the trips that the United States is now supporting a waiver on trips, the international inter- intellectual property um, agreement with the WTO, well, two things like I looked into this also. One thing is just because the United States says they're into it does not mean the rest of the WTO is Germany, for instance, all the other rich countries are also not into it. so it's gonna take. A long time before it actually gets waived, so that's that's one thing, and that perhaps the United States is also doing their own theater, right? Trying to get, trying to get their leftist critics like TTSG off their back, and 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 but do this symbolic gesture. But even if you're saying that, even if like let's say tomorrow all the rich countries agree to this waiver, uh, it's not going to hit. It's not going to stop the next wave, much less this wave um, in India, and that's as we just kind of you know referenced. Some experts think that's that's several millions of people. Right. Alone um, that that there's very little they can do um, to protect with vaccines. The only real protection would be good old fashioned government, political like administration and responsibility and, and, and so on and so forth. Right. So there's no easy solution.
1: So basically the the BJP uh, and the central government has just inaugurated this crazy. Um, you know, just straight up fascist project. It's just, it's so classic of that model. You know, you want to remake your public spaces. You want to redo your calendar. You know, all of this stuff. They're remaking parliament, remaking the, you know, the prime minister's house. Yeah, yeah. And they enter, and, and the amount that this project costs, 220, 220, 22.1 crore is the amount it would cost to procure vaccines from enough to, you know, vaccine from outside and, and just do it. Uh, so. So even though, for example, Sputnik 5 was, um, was, uh, sort of, you know, given the go ahead on 1st May in India, no one knows what's happening with that. It's not like there's any rollout happening or whatever. So the, the vaccine is here, but it's, or Johnson & Johnson, that's also going to be part of the play in India. It's going to be Johnson & Johnson, Sputnik, COVID, uh, COVID, COVID shield and co But there's no plan. The government? the government is making no, so instead it's just, it's literally in the middle of, you know, like, ambulances are being rerouted in central Delhi because like the roads outside the prime minister's house have literally been dug up day before yesterday because he has to begin this, you know, remake central Delhi for the world uh, project now in the middle of this while he's not addressing. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's uh, so, yeah. and and the other thing is that they needed to have made, they also opened up vaccination to privatization. So instead of it being a uniform price, it's now going to be, it's now, you know, Private players.
0: Why do Why do they do that?
1: It makes absolutely no sense. It's completely <laughs> haphazard. It makes no sense, and it's led to a situation where I mean, just today in Karnataka, which is one of the major sort of southern states, it's also the home of the sort of Silicon Valley of India, Bangalore. There was a you know a Supreme Court proceeding where. Uh, it's been now ruled that vaccination for 18 plus and above universal vaccination will have to stop in Karnataka, not that it had really begun. But in the midst of this crisis, the cent- like the BJP suddenly declared that, the central government declared yeah. that vaccination would be universal in the middle of this vaccine shortage. So they've now just done a ruling saying that, you know, that might be the case, but we can't vaccinate people of 18 plus because then 45 plus and 60 plus who haven't got their second doses will not get the second doses. Yeah. So the chief justice of India was that this is going to be a wastage of national resources. So we're ruling that you have to stop vaccinating, in theory, people who are above 18 and just vaccinate yeah. people who are above 45. So it's, it's basically a headless limb like it's like the arm and the leg and the head don't know what they're doing they're completely uncoordinated and there's no effort to coordinate anything
0: do you i mean and do you think the bgp is doing stuff like that basically to win the pr battle like oh we're we're going to make it universal so people uh somehow think that things are going okay
1: so i'll say this in very like bland terms I don't think the is thinking necessarily because they, they're they just a bunch of idiots. What they're good at <laughs> is PR. So it's not like they're thinking we have to do good PR. It just, it's, it's just that they are able to... But in this situation, they can't even... There's no PR to spin on this. That's why they're silent. What PR are you going to do when in the national capital, everyone around you can see, like even your... Bot media channels are covering, you know, just people dying, you know, like those overhead shots of crem, you know, crematorium, those overhead shots of bodies floating down the holy Ganges. If there's any, if there's any demographic they could have pissed off, I mean, in this case, I mean, you know, there's there's a reason why these news channels are like Hindus aren't getting their correct last rites, right? Like they're not being able to have mm. the last rites or whatever. So um. I think that they, aren't, they, they are just not managing this because they don't know how to manage anything other than TR. What they have is a huge amount of IT capacity. Um, so things like, there were 700 tons of oxygen and ventilators and concentrators that arrived at Indira Gandhi National Airport in Delhi uh, about 10 days ago, like right in the middle of when the NYP had that, you know, that image of the you know, you know burning fires. And for seven days, there was just no ability to get that stuff out of the airport because the central government wow. had just not organized which authority, who had the authority to sign off on releasing these. So people were literally dying of lack of oxygen and ventilators, a few kilometers or a few miles from where, uh, you know, those were, you know. So, so it's it's just inefficiency. It's it's as with all. I'm getting angry now. I'm sorry, but it's it's with all fascist regimes. It's not like efficiency is their strong suit.
0: <laughs> I know you and I have talked about, you know, lots of people in the U S or abroad saying like, Oh, what can we do to help? I feel so helpless and so on and so forth. Do you think there's anything to do or is it really just up to like the domestic government to, 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 because because we're talking about how vaccines are not going to come anytime soon. Um, is it really a situation where we just have to like realize like, this is, this is like an, uh, this is like a, you know, a global problem, but in many ways has, requires local solutions um, or local solutions can't just be, local governance can't be ignored. Like, like you can, the, there's only so much the rest of us can, can expect the rest of the world to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the thing, right? Like the world, ha- I mean, the world is better off if everyone has equitable access to vaccination, but what can they do if the local government in India is not procuring the vaccines for that vaccination. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's crazy that a country as large as India and one that you know this whole um, you know performance of being a you know, superpower to rival China. I mean, complete hogwash. Of course. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're they're having to impo- they're having to get oxygen as aid. This is not like some big superpower. This is this is a nothing. This is a gigantic country with zero capacity at this point, and. Uh, uh, and and the thing is that um yes i think that people who are feeling helpless both in terms of solidarity you know so many sort of diasporic or you know communities with you know sort of uh relations to india in particular i don't think people can help with vaccination what they can help with if they really want to is with uh giving uh like figuring out a list of organizations and there are a few that are really sort of centralizing this in terms of um Food and uh, so food security for just a very large number of people who are now either children, the huge number of orphans, um, just uh, families that are lo- that have lost breadwinners, and you know, or they're left, or they or they're just like unable to work. And of course, also there are these partial lockdowns. There is a, there's already been a huge reduction in the employment rate in the last four years.
0: Yeah, no, that's really sobering to think about. That there is no magical magical bullet magical medical bullet i don't know what the metaphor is there's no like vaccine or treatment that'll save it's more just like people have to hunker down survive be safe and in the meantime they just need food and basic resources right
1: yeah and and i just really feel fear for everyone i not just i mean i think this is the thing it really does you know sort of cut across class in this case uh, i'll I want to share this one thing that my friend and Bombay uh, shared with me. Mumbai shared with me, uh, something that she heard a uh, doctor at Leelawati Hospital, which is like, you know, think of Sloan Kettering or something. It's like really major, like really, it's where the, you know, Amitabh Bachchan was taken for treatment or whatever.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay, I, uh, yeah. I understand that. You okay. get it, yeah. So
1: basically, <laughs> his doctor at Leelawati was like, you know, what's different with this wave is that, that, you know, people in that social class are far more greatly infected than they were in the first, and it's almost like, people's approach to this vaccine as the need for it as well as to the infection or the virus has been classed people think that they are immune because they belong to a Mm. specific social class and I think it's really important um uh, I I, I'm I think that the number of deaths in the first wave were pretty high too and they were definitely suppressed in the way that you were saying that you know there's a but that's also because perhaps the major metro met, metros were not hit, met, metropolitan cities were not hit in the way they are now, and um, mm. and so I'm just really scared because I'm scared for my. For my parents, I mean, they're safe. They've always been masked, but it's just the kind of society where it's not a fully delivery society like in New York. When I was hunkered down, I was hunkered down. I went out once in ten days, and I had any, you know, whatever. But this is you just have to go out, and you just have to interact yeah. with people, and people come in. Particularly if you're older, like my my grandfather, he needs a medical attendant who's around. Um, she was positive, he was positive. You know, everybody was so. There's just and people live in great density, so I don't know what safety there really is. And the myth of herd yeah. immunity, which is what it was, right? Like India is such a densely populated society that herd immunity is happening. Uh not true. So,
0: Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things they said in February, that we've reached herd immunity, but maybe like maybe 20%. 20% of the country had had antibodies or vaccines.
1: I do want to say one thing, uh, which is, I want to also shed light on this. Another friend asked me to make sure that I uh, kind of like uh, mention this, and I think it's important. So one of the reasons that people are, um, you know, people across the world are, you know, able to access and images or and the sort of a sense of what's going on in places like Delhi or whatever is uh, because of social media. Because they're seeing, you know, if they if they follow anyone, retweets, whatever, they're seeing these calls for like, you know, it's just people are like literally putting their national identification numbers online to be like. You know, female age, whatever, viral count, et cetera, whatever. And there are all these codes that you learn. Like, I know how to read certain kind of medical information now. I just know what it means in terms of how high somebody's viral load is, you know, how, how, how high their need for oxygen is, whatever. I just know that. And so people have just garnered this kind of information and people from outside, outside of India are also able to follow that. And I think that's what's caused this kind of global also, I think, just uh, concerned because they have seen these kind of cries of help, and but one thing I want to make say is that yeah, these platforms like Instagram stories and Twitter have been really important both during the farmers' protests, the, the anti ca the anti-citizenship uh, amendment law protest, the the, uh, the farmer protest against these neoliberal agricultural laws, and now have been really important for sharing all of this information that the, that state infrastructure does not provide, but it's also that. Facebook and Twitter very categorically are also censoring um, all sorts of information because specifically because the Modi government's directives. So in the first couple of days of the Delhi kind of outbreak, when it was really, you know, you were really seeing this. People were being arrested, so resources were being spent in arresting people who tweeted saying need oxygen cylinder in this neighborhood at this house, like you are spreading panic. So there was a whole lot of resources spent in kind of being like Twitter needs to censor people who are making it out to be a bigger calamity than it is. Uh, and they did it. They suspended a very large number of accounts. And that's happening even now with people who are sharing videos and texts from Palestine. Um, and then there's always some kind of technical reasoning for it. So with Facebook, there was a hashtag called Modi Resigns that was trending a couple of days ago, and it was taken off. Um, the kind of trending list and uh, and then they said when they were sort of challenged on it through the kind of official channel, You know, like when you report it and so forth. The answer was that uh, it was a glitch
0: Yeah, these are US Silicon Valley companies that are cooperating or whatever the colluding with the BJP which is really you know Because in their mind, I assume it's an exchange for access to the market in the yeah. market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay well, I mean Magna be safe on behalf of my co-hosts and listeners, you know our heart goes out to you know you and you and everyone over there, and um, you know hopefully, hopefully the worst will be over soon. But in the meantime, you know thanks thanks for talking to us. I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate this.
1: Sure, great! I'm glad I got to rant in public for a
0: bit.